0: Jay, thank you for being here today. I don't know if Jay told you, he was in Billings and drove back, got here around 2 a.m. this morning and was here at before 8 this morning. And so thank you. Let's give Jay and the praise team a hand this morning. (laughs) Uh, So we have to go from wonderful worship to talking about something very negative. So I hope you hang in here with me today. Uh, Many of you would would agree with me if I said that one of the most treacherous things someone could do or that could be done to you is the betrayal of a family member or friend. It strikes deep and has lasting effects on our lives. You could look back over your life right now and pinpoint a time where someone betrayed you and you can still sense the hurt of what took place. And maybe someone here today was actually the person who actually betrayed someone else. Um, There are many well-known stories of betrayal throughout history. The second most popular one is the betrayal that happened to Julius Caesar. Among the conspirators who assassinated the Roman leader on March 15, 44 B.C. was Marcus Junius Brutus. Um, Caesar not only trusted Brutus, he had favored him as a son, and you know, it's been passed down and popularized by uh, Shakespeare that when he was attacked, and this assassination was real, and that took place, that he fought off everybody at first until he realized Brutus was among the crowd, someone that he trusted. And it was said that he said, et tu Brute, when he saw him. You too, even you, Brutus, would do this, and they assassinated him. Um, though many of you would say that you've been betrayed, uh, many here would not be willing to admit to being a betrayer. Um, who are you in the story? Thinking about Julius Caesar and what took place, would you say you are the Julius Caesar person who was betrayed by many people or even a close friend or would you be the person who actually betrayed him I think starting off at that point is important for us because oftentimes I think we would assume that we are just nice people Uh, we don't betray anyone we don't hurt anybody we wouldn't do anything bad But the most popular betrayal in history is the betrayal of Jesus. You know, we've been walking through the life of Jesus and looking at these details. And we like to put our, um, you know, I like to look into it and, and put myself in the situation. And sometimes I would like to think that I would not do the things the disciples did. I want to think that way. Uh, But when you look at them and you look at how we live today, we are very much like the disciples, even pre-Holy Spirit at times. We would say we would never do these things, Jesus, but we are very much capable of doing everything the disciples did. So this most popular betrayal in history, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, um, is significant for us, but it wasn't just a betrayal. The priest and scribes at this point in the narrative were plotting and seeking to find a way to kill Jesus. Uh, He was sold out, and he will be sold out as we'll see today, by one of the ones he trusted within the twelve. This wasn't one of the thousands who were following Jesus, or one of the seventy, or one of the hundred and twenty. This is one of his innermost closest disciples, one of the twelve. Someone he trusted. He'll be arrested. He will be denied by his closest friends. And he will be crucified. And we were going to start working into this. And I want you to know at this point in the Gospel of Luke, things begin to slow down it's just passing over time if you think about it from the birth of jesus and from the time he is named the the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world or his temptation in the wilderness many t- uh, years are passed over and actually the three years that he is doing ministry on earth is passed over very quick and everything is about to slow down right here at the end of his life and is very detailed of what's going to happen is very much it's a mirror of what takes place in the book of genesis creation In the beginning, all these things happen very fast. Hundreds and thousands of years are just passed over, and then they slow down in um, the Old Testament narrative. We're going to look at Luke chapter 22 today, verses 1 through 5 and 21 through 23. And it says here, going back and looking at the beginning of chapter 22, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking how to put him to death. It's fascinating still to think about today. But I think if you search your own heart at times, I think there's people in your life that you've been envious of or jealous of, or you uh, considered an enemy, and you may have created a plot in your mind to have them done away with. At this point, they want to kill Jesus. And at one point, they were willing to even kill Lazarus because he was an evidence of being raised from the dead of Jesus' miracles. And the chief priests and scribes were seeking to put him to death, and, but they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot. Now I want you to know that's something different that takes place. That, Jude, that Satan could actually enter into Judas post-Pentecost. The believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we would say that you could not, Satan could not enter into your life, but he could very much well, uh, he could deceive you. He can um, lead you away from Jesus. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the number of the twelve, and he went away and conferred with the chief priests' officers on how he might betray him to them. And they were glad. They're trying to figure out, how can we eliminate Jesus? And all of a sudden, the person comes. I am willing to betray him. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So, they, so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me, Jesus says at this point, is with me at the table. Now we saw that last week as we went through the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Um, Luke is not doing a chronology. There are good theologians that think at this time when they were doing communion that Judas has already left. That he didn't actually partake of the Lord's Supper at this point. But it says here, "...but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table pre-Lord's Supper." While they're doing Passover. "...for the Son of Man goes as it is, has been determined. There's a sovereign plan that Christ would die for the sins of the world. But woe to that man whom he is betrayed." And they began to question one another, which of them it could be, who was going to do this. Let's pray together this morning. God, we've consecrated ourselves and separated ourselves today to be with the body of believers, to be with other Christians, to worship you, a holy God. And I pray today that we consecrate your words to our heart and our mind. And Lord, that you help us to see you in all your glory, to know you well. That we draw closer to you in these um, chaotic times where people need the gospel more than ever. That we are living out this faith that you've called us to. Lord, that we are, are authentic Christians. That we are filled with Your Spirit. That we confess You as Lord. That we can lead others to You because they see Jesus in our lives. Lord, and I pray that we become a people that are not so quick to deny You with our lives. That we're not so quick to betray You for such a little amount of money or whatever it is that pulls people into the sins of the world. But Lord, that we are confident that You are the Lord of life. That we need You as Peter would say. Where else can we go? You hold the words of eternal life. Bless your words as they go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. In the church, last week we dealt with the fact that Christ is in Jerusalem. He was slowly working His way there uh, as He would soon die for the sins of the world. He has informed the disciples that is what He is going to do. They didn't always understand what He is saying. In Mark chapter 10 I'm going to read this. It won't be on our screen. He tells the disciples, see we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. He is telling them this is going to happen and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles, meaning the Romans would crucify Him. They will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him and after three days He will rise. They were perplexed and confused when Jesus said this. But the culmination of all these events have come to this point. They have arrived, but everything will always be associated with the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in flesh was betrayed. It's fascinating just to look back at these disciples watching Jesus who was able to calm a storm. That He actually, literally, they saw with their eyes that He had power over the elements. They'd actually walked on water. The disciples saw this. They saw Him time and time again heal the sick, raise the dead. They saw Lazarus who was in a tomb for 4 days. And the Old King James it says they came in and said, Lord, he stinketh. He's dead dead. He's decaying. No, go and roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. They saw these things happen. And still there's a betrayal. Even the communion supper that we all participated in last week is forever associated with the betrayal of Jesus. Paul says this. We have the verse here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord, and I want you to know, uh, if you would slide forward, I want you to know um, that Paul had direct revelation from Jesus Christ. He actually appeared to him and spoke to him. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, speaking to the church, That the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, this intimate time, will always be associated with His betrayal. Jesus had invited the twelve to take the Passover with Him. He instituted the Lord's Supper, informing them that His body would be broken for them. This was His blood. It was for them. But it's sad that this historical, intimate moment is marred by historical betrayal. It's hard to even think about. And I want you to know, we're, we're going to get into some intense things here. If you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're going to face some of these similar things. Jesus said that. They hated me, they're going to hate you. If you are living for Jesus Christ, Paul said all those who seek to live a godly life will be Persecuted. If you are seriously trying to uh, pursue Jesus, you will be betrayed, you will be not denied, you will be mocked in this world, all the more in this culture. Um, and I think at times we are very capable of betraying Jesus. We are more than capable of betraying other people. Betrayal seems to be normative. And I can literally say, and I'm not going to preach a sermon about all the the things that have happened to me in ministry, I was never betrayed until I said yes to Jesus and started serving in ministry. If I lived in the world and, and living in sin and doing whatever I was doing without God, without saying yes to Him, you know, there was just things that happened and bad things and I was caught up in things I probably shouldn't have been in. But as soon as I said yes to ministry, the first year we were saying yes to ministry, a betrayal happened. It's normative, because if you're living for Jesus, Satan is always seeking to find a heart that he can enter into because there's people, not all who are in the, uh, the church' family are actually in the family of God. Now I heard a pessimistic pastor say this. He said, "One deceiver in 12." There was 12 disciples. This is what he said, every time, this was, this was bad mentoring. Every time you look out at the congregation, there's one in 12 betrayers out there. I was like, that's too pessimistic. I was like, I don't know if I can buy into that, you know. Uh, I don't think it's that bad. But there's always a potential betrayal thing, and you are capable of betraying. Verse 21 through 23 again, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. It's interesting to look back on this moment and see that they had no clue who was really capable of doing this. They're looking around the room. Who is going to betray Jesus? Because from the outside, everybody seemed holy, they seemed Christian. They were even questioning themselves, is it going to be me, Jesus, in Matthew 26, 22, And they were very sorrowful when he said this. They began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Is it me? Am I, will I be the one who betrays you? Because they realized, even not knowing, Seeing who, who would be able to do that, but they knew, you know, maybe I am capable of doing this. And oftentimes, we play as if we are the innocent party. Everybody has a narrative, by the way. In every situation I've ever dealt with, in uh, ministering to people or, um, you know, trying to work through crisis that happened, everybody has their narrative. You have to work through one side of what one person said and what someone else said, and you have to work through who was actually the innocent party because everybody would say that they are innocent. I'm not the one who did this thing. Uh, And we assume that we would never hurt anyone or betray anyone. We assume we are not capable of such an act. But the truth is we are very much capable of betrayal. I think if we are not careful that we still can fall into that kind of a mind frame. And I'll prove it to you. Judas betrayed Jesus, and we could say sold him out because he took money. He took 30 pieces of silver. It was worth, one piece of silver was worth about four days' wage at this time. They've estimated, and this estimate is a few years old even now, so in Biden's economy, it's going to be worse. Um, Five tanks of gas is what it's equal to so today is equal to about 12,000 to 15,000 the 30 pieces of silver that's a nice little stack of cash you could do something with that but I want you to know that I've met people and I watch it all the time that people betray Jesus for much less they give up on Jesus for much less the things I hear today is just like really you're willing to give up on Jesus and turn him over or give up, betray your church family and all these things over so much less. People will give up, sell Jesus out for a little extra overtime at work. And, and sometimes it's a little extra time they don't even get paid for. Uh, they're just trying to do that ladder and look good. They're, well, I, yeah, I can skip work this week and come in and, and do this stuff for my job. A few extra uh, hours at work. And the, the bottle. The drink. The drugs. Yeah, I went to church. I go home. You know, I'm doing my, my pattern of life. And before long, somebody has their, their few drinks. And like I've said, it's rarely just a couple of drinks. I've had people actually tell me, uh, they, you know, I know my limit who say I know my limit and I was like no you don't <laughs> um, people sell they sell at Jesus um, for a few more moments in the bed on Sunday morning I actually had someone say I was like hey man missed you today what happened he was like man I slept in and I was like second services at 1115 what was going on Saturday night where you had to sleep in you know um, but people sell out for a few more minutes. Ah, oh, you know. And then, before long, you miss service. And there's another service and another service. And they've sold out Jesus altogether. Uh, a few minutes in infidelity. Flirting on social media. An inappropriate relationship. An insecure thought that Satan gives you to make you doubt God and the church and your faith. A um, A misunderstanding between people I've caused people to sell Jesus out the church and and do whatever discontentment in the heart Satan loves to fish in the seas of a discontented heart just not happy with the world and Satan just reels them in lost a porn site whatever your addiction or propensity might be but guess what you don't have to that is what we believe as Christians I recognize the temptations I recognize that Satan is always offering something else. And it's always last. It's it's second best. It will never be good enough, but he makes it, he wraps it up. He makes it look nice for us. I think there's a there's a proverb or psalm that says, He offers you this thing, and when you eat it, it's like gravel in your mouth. He's offering all these things and people just sell Jesus out. But you do not have to do that. I was reading a theologian this week. It was awesome. He said, I I believe at this point Judas still could have said no. That he didn't have to do it. That he still had free will and knew Jesus Christ. He could have repented. He could have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, I did this thing on the side. I'm on the verge of betraying you. I am sorry. When he was in the garden and he had the money with him, he could have thrown it away at that time. He could have turned and thrown it in the face of the soldiers and fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Jesus, I am sorry. And we believe that it could have happened because Jesus says this. He asked Judas a question. We have this, I want you to see this. Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Are you really willing to do that? Judas worked his way in. He's going to reveal to the soldiers who Jesus is. They They weren't sure because it actually says Jesus just looked like a regular person. We dress Him up today to look different, but He's a regular man. And it's nighttime. It's in the garden. And he walks up to Jesus and leans in to kiss Him to reveal He is the Christ. And they would arrest Him. At this moment, Judas could have turned to the Lord Jesus and he would have been forgiven. It would have been someone else who betrayed him. He would have still gone into the hands to be killed. But Judas didn't repent. Church, some of you may be on the verge of some kind of betrayal. Some kind of fault, discontent, something lure you away. Lust, affections for the world. At this point, you do not have to give in. All you have to do is say, Lord, help me. Forgive me. I do not want to do this. I want to live for you. You can turn to Him right now and Jesus will forgive you. He was always forgiving people. It is what He came to do, to die for the sins of the world, to forgive us of our sins, to teach us the way, to give us life, that we would follow Him. Now, here's the second thing I want you to see today. We're not only capable of betraying, we are capable of denying. Verses 33-34, through 34, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And Jessica read the scripture today and you saw it just happen uh, repeatedly. I mean, it wasn't like one day, the next day, the next day. It's within these moments um, that Peter is following Jesus from afar off. Now, Jesus has this short conversation with Peter. And Peter. He's telling Peter, Peter, Satan wishes to sift you as wheat. And when Satan wants to do that, it means he wants to shake you up and sift out your faith that you won't live for Jesus, that you would deny Him, uh, that you would actually walk away. But Jesus encourages Peter and says, but I have prayed for you um, that you would return. And when you return, that you would strengthen your brothers. And Peter is like, no, I would never do that. And I I see ourselves in, in those moments. I would never do that thing. Um, and and you can look ahead and and sometimes you can see the outcome and I think that's sometimes what helps me uh, remain firm in the faith is I've seen the outcome of those who did this little denial here betrayal here and it led into a uh, a life away from God Peter boldly tells Jesus I am ready to go with you both to prison and death I meet Christians that say that kind of stuff all the time who are the most comfortable people in the world The ones who are literally willing to go to death are the ones who are uh, worshiping Jesus on a mat somewhere in a country in the open. That are in a hut somewhere. That are in a basement hiding um, in, in China, the Middle East, all these other places. If they told me they're willing to go to prison and death, I believe it. Our culture's a little different because we're so accustomed to comfort. How do we even know what suffering is like anymore? Have any of you been in jail? I have. I was a jailer. <laughs> I, I was a guard. I like what Brian Powell said yesterday, last year. You know what he said? He said, man, i got to get arrested at least once. It's going to be weird going to talk to all these apostles and they've been in and out of jail for the faith, you know. Um, but we talk this big game. We speak as if we are willing to go and die for Jesus. Um, but we're all capable of denying Jesus we've denied him um, even after we've confessed him as Lord I've met people who said I believe they've gotten baptized and they deny Jesus and they don't come back there's whatever it is they deny him with their lifestyle you know the term ungodly means to do life without God Psalm 1 begins and kind of sets the course of all the Psalms blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. But he meditates on the Word of God daily. So it kind of creates this contrast. Either you're going to be in the Word of God, or you are counseled by ungodly. Ungodly means they do life without God. You have co-workers, family members, and friends who say they're Christians, who say all these things, but they do life without God. And we don't listen to that. And we are very much capable of doing life like that. We make plans, we do life, we don't invite God into it. It's why the verse in James says this. You you go about, you make all these plans, but you forget that your life is a vapor. If anything, you should seek God's will in your plans. If the Lord wills, we will do this thing. James says it. I have it here. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Meaning that I make all these plans, but I need to bring them into subjection under the feet of God. I'm choosing a career. I need to invite God into this. Because you could get into the wrong thing. A, A vacation. Whatever it may be. The plans of the world. You have to invite God into these things. Lord, is this your will? If not, you're doing it. You're doing life very much ungodly. Christians are capable of denying Jesus. Again, but we think we're willing to go to jail and death. I heard one pastor say this. Now, I didn't say this, but I like what he says. Um, Some Christians talk about how they're willing to suffer for Jesus, to go to jail for Him, even die for Him, but they're not even willing to go to church and worship Him for an hour. Now, you're here and you're going to say, well, that's not me. I'm just saying. Take note of what we say versus the reality Church, I have to go. I don't feel like it. We assume that we're going to give up our life for Jesus. He tells us that we are to take up the cross daily and follow Him if we want to be His disciple. And how hard has it become for normal people even to come and worship Him for one hour? Think about that. What are we really telling people? We need to take this cross up again and realize this is real Christianity in a work, a world of fakes. You know what Jesus said? This is radical. I've, been, I've had this in the back of my mind for years. He says, Oh, you have little faith. Your faith is little. He says, My little flock. Jesus calls the disciple, he says, My little flock. And I'm wondering if he's thinking about the entirety of Christianity. And there's two aspects. On one side, I'm like, Lord, who is going to get saved? On the other end, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He is so positive. He said, this should be more in heaven than in hell. And I want to think that, but what I'm seeing is not necessarily looking like that. That we give up, we deny, uh, we betray Jesus for these small little things, and we talk large talk, and we need to really dig back in and again, search ourselves and say, am I really pursuing Jesus? Now, last week I talked about how the culture has shift, shifted so much um, that attendance has gone down. And my main goal is to get people in discipleship. I think we should worship, uh, well, we should gather on a regular basis, worship Jesus Christ. That is a primary thing. But I want p- more than that, beyond that, that people are in classes are learning about Jesus, they are being discipled, they're serving, they're doing these things that are Christian. Um, but I, I said it last week, I said people want to, they take vacation, and when they do, they skip church. And I said that. I want to I qualify that because I understand uh, it, it's awkward going to another church. I had a young lady tell us this week. We were at GNC, and uh, she was talking about church. I was like, bing, conversation starter. Uh, I was like, hey, I'm a pastor, you know, and uh, wow, well, I'm from this town, and I just have a loyalty to that church, so I don't go to any other church anymore. But they live here. They grew up in South Dakota. But they have a loyalty to that church. They will never go to another church. How does that even make sense? And sometimes we kind of do that when we're on vacation. Well, I love my church, and I, this is cool. Go to another church. It don't make you appreciate your church sometimes. Sometimes you'll be like, "Hey, we need to work on some things." <laughs> um, but you'll go to another church. You're like, "Yeah, I miss worshiping at my church." But still, hear the word of God. Worship, even if it's streaming, whatever it is. Worship should still be a priority in our life. We have to be careful to talk about the suffering when we make it hard to even turn on. We've made Christianity so easy. It's right here in your phone now. That you can take it with you. You can pull up your a site. You can listen to a podcast. You can listen to a message. You can watch. We actually stream services where you can watch it live. <sighs> it's too much work. What's the Wi-Fi password? I can't get Wi-Fi. Well, we won't worship. And that's really what we're looking at today. Uh, Let's suffer for Jesus a little more. Let's dig in. Let's let it be grace and grit. Now, Jesus speaks of denying Him as being a serious offense. He said, so everyone here in Matthew chapter 10, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge uh, before my Father in heaven. So if you acknowledge Jesus Christ, he acknowledges you in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We have to step up our game. When you're out at a restaurant, people are watching. And I want you to know, it's very rare to see somebody pray over a meal. It is so rare that I've had people come up to me and say, thank you for praying. Because my little kids saw you do it. We had someone, I was at a Waffle House one time with my family. We prayed. We prayed. And I was like, Lord, even if you can bless this food, please bless, bless the Waffle House food. Somebody passed us a note and said, hey, I was back here. I saw you guys praying. It meant a lot to me. Thank you. That it's that meaningful in this culture means people are not even praying over a meal when they're out. That we need to step up our game when we're, we worship. This is who we are as Christians. I am a Christ follower. Whatever it takes, I follow Jesus wherever I am. If I'm on vacation, it is Jesus in what I'm doing. We gather around the fire for s'mores. We sing songs to Jesus. Lord, bless our little s'mores. We are Christian in our language, in our lifestyle. But we can, we're tempted to confess Him and then deny Him. As Christians, we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why? We are saved by this good news. In closing, I have something here. I'm going to ask Jay, to come. I have so much to share on Sunday morning. I'm battling as I'm sharing things because three things come to my mind. Which one am I going to share? A, B, or C? And I was like, no, I shouldn't share that one, Lord. And the Lord allowed it to come out. And here it is. Jesus is arrested now. The disciples scatter. They've taken him into custody. John follows pretty closely. Peter follows from a distance. And there's something here I want you to see in Luke chapter 22. It says, and immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And Peter was close enough to see Jesus and Jesus see Peter. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter in that very moment. And it wasn't a gotcha moment. It was just a moment for him to see and understand really what has happened. And Peter, remembering the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times And Jesus. If you would scroll forward, I have a a slide here. jesus is taken away peter denies him and jesus is looking right at peter they actually make eye contact and it actually says he went away and wept bitterly he realized what he had done you know and i wonder what it would be like in our moments of denying him if he was in the room and looked over and saw us um, how we would respond If we would just say, ah, he'll get over it. He'll forgive me. Or is there deep remorse for what we do and how we live? Judas and Peter had similar stories. Both were disciples. Jesus predicted both things would happen. Satan was involved in both issues. Satan wanted to sift Peter as wheat. Satan entered into Judas. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies Jesus. Judas has regret. He goes into the temple. He regrets what he did. He throws the money back in. He goes out and hangs himself. Commits suicide. Forever the betrayer. But there's a different story with Peter. Peter saw what happened. Peter wept with remorse and repented. And what Jesus prayed for him happened. And when you return, strengthen your brothers so Peter would return to Jesus Christ and I want you to see the second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death we are capable of doing both but how we respond changes everything so today I'm gonna to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and And maybe you're in a moment that you need to turn to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. That you have felt remorse, not regret so much, but remorse for denying your Christ. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, sometimes it's hard to listen to what happened here. We assume we would not do these things. Lord, but we have done them. And I pray, starting today, whoever has denied You with their lifestyle, even in secret or public, Lord, that they feel remorse for this action. It's not hidden from You. There's no hidden scandals in heaven. You know what is happening. And I pray that we just turn to You today, Lord, that we just give it all to You. And Lord, maybe someone here today has got one foot in, one foot out. And I pray that they quit playing games with You. That they fully commit to You. That they understand this narrow road is not easy. And Lord, I pray that we start trimming away this comfort. These things that keep us from suffering for You. Lord, I pray this week that we tell someone about You. And I pray that our lives are so changed that co-workers know that something is different about us. That we're not speaking like everyone else. That we're not acting like everyone else. That they see Jesus in us. That we can be the disciples You've called us to be. That we can lead others to You. That we can build Your kingdom as we follow You and take up our cross daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you would stand as we close. I want you to know that this moment in time where you heard the words of Christ is more valuable than most things you're going to do this week. This little 35, 40 minutes in our our hour of worship has great value. And we need to place it up again that this is important this is about Jesus amen and we have a mission
1: if you didn't know it our
0: vision here is to reach Casper for Christ so as you go out today you are missionaries it's not just you know some of the pastors and these people we are all in this together you are all responsible for leading people to Jesus let's just do it amen go in grace and peace you are dismissed you're loved by your pastor God bless you I've been afraid.